0: I will say that for the last 10 entrepreneurs with whom I have spoken, the number one challenge is the ability to hire great people. There is a shortage.
1: We usually have about at any given time, I'd say about 25 positions vacant. Today, when I checked, we have 122 positions vacant. I think lots of times organizations put the focus on bringing new people in and forgetting about the staff that you have that are loyal, that have stayed with you, and that are working really, really hard during this hearing
2: This is the Language of Business, a podcast to inform and inspire entrepreneurs. Anyone thinking about a startup, looking to do a post-pandemic pivot, find a new job or recruit new employees, learn strategies that work and strategies that don't work from experts who've been there and done that. I'm executive producer Don Kelly. Our host is Greg Stoller, Harvard MBA and senior lecturer at Boston University Questrom School of Business. In this episode, we meet a partner and an entrepreneur in residence at consulting firm Gesmer. They've thrived via Zoom but still have challenges finding the right talent. Plus, the president and CEO of Emerson Hospital tells us about the difficulty of retaining healthcare workers, but she does have a plan. Here's Greg Stoller. Thank you, Don.
3: Steve Schneider is an ace when it comes to business development. And during the height of the pandemic, along with his colleagues at Gesmer, he did whatever he could to keep the trains running on time. But that was several months prior, and we all thought this would be well over, but of course we know it isn't. Now what do you do for act number two? Steve Schneider, welcome to the Language of Business. Thank
0: you for having me, it's a treat.
3: So Gesmer is a law firm that amongst many other service lines provides support for startups. What happened during the height of the pandemic? How many of your attorneys and colleagues were in? And how about your clients?
0: It's a great question and the experiences are very vivid. We work with lots of rapidly growing scaling tech companies we thought the pandemic would end after four five or six months. That obviously hasn't taken place. We have about 50 employees at the firm. For most of the first 14, 15 months, there may have been four or five individuals at the firm from beginning to end. The four or five individuals were in our operations group, mainly IT and finance. Everybody else was virtual.
3: And how about right now, today?
0: There has certainly been a transition in July. Most everyone was in on Tuesdays and Thursdays, August, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and we will continue on that way until the pandemic is further down the road. I'm sure your
3: clients understood at the height of the pandemic. I mean, after all, how could they not, right? We all were dealing, unfortunately, with uncharted territory. Now let's talk about, again, the present day. Do they mind Zoom? Do they prefer Zoom? Are you doing house calls again? Help everyone to understand that, please.
0: Yes, yes, and yes. (laughs) The past 18 months have been amazingly wonderful in so many ways. I often feel guilty about saying that because so many people have had hardships. But in my world, in our world, we've been doing a tremendous number of Zoom calls during the past three months. I've certainly been meeting with clients and prospective clients, as have my colleagues for coffee or lunch, typically outdoors, not indoors. But everyone has become acclimated to Zoom calls, Zoom meetings. It is the way of the world now. And quite frankly, I think that a part of that is going to stay with us forever.
3: But at the K-12 level, Massachusetts recently released a report that the MCAS scores had plummeted because it's very difficult to teach or have students learn in a classroom. Do you think that you or your clients have it all suffered? Yes, Zoom is the way of the world. But now, considering where we are today, do you think that Zoom isn't getting the job done?
0: I think that Zoom has gotten the job done under the circumstances. And as we continue on in whatever the new normal is, we, as well as a significant portion of our clients, understand that Zoom makes it much more effective and efficient.
3: What are you hearing from your clients? Are they all uniformly dealing with this or are some sort of doing A or B and others doing CDD?
0: What is very clear to me is that one size doesn't fit all. There's no right or wrong. Certainly some of the companies with which I work have decided that everyone should come back full time, but the vast majority are hybrid and probably will be hybrid. Many of the companies that I work with, their technical groups, their technology groups are mostly virtual and will continue that way. Many clients have their sales groups. Some are virtual. Many want the sales groups and the business development groups back on site. I think CFOs have learned a good bit over the past 18 months.
3: Yes, they have.
0: What's the largest Expense after payroll and benefits. It's rent. And so this experience has taught many of us how to be much more effective and efficient with space. What space do we need? What space don't we need? And how can people be more effective in a virtual world?
3: Steve, so much of your value out of Gazimer is doing business development. For new business starting out today, how are you doing that? In person, Zoom? Obviously, you said you aren't going indoors, but help us to understand how you're dealing with new clients.
0: Well, to me and to my colleagues, working with clients, even prospective clients, it's all about relationships. Relationships are one at a time and they are personal. There is nothing like a face-to-face meeting, being across the table or a few feet away from you having coffee. That's a great substitute for that. A Zoom call is a nice way to have a one-on-one, but any opportunity I have to meet someone for coffee or lunch or a beer outside, I'm thrilled to do it. In fact, I invite folks to do that with me. I think that's great
3: are there any clients by the way say you haven't yet met in person new clients yes absolutely that's amazing and the beat goes on.
0: I will say that meeting by Zoom, after these 18 months, it almost feels normal to ask if I have met them in person. Yes, I met them in person. It just happens
3: to be over Zoom.
0: But I'm having lunch outside with a client that I've been working with for months and months, and I feel like I know him. Meeting outside for lunch on Friday is going to be a really nice experience, but we have built a really strong relationship via Zoom.
3: What advice do you have, Steve, for people who are in your similar role in terms of their business development efforts over say the next six to 12 months
0: probably not much different advice than I would have given two years ago. And it, this isn't just about business development as a service provider, whether it's legal services, accounting services, banking, you name it, it's all the same. This is all about relationships. Service providers are a commodity. The real question is, what services can we provide that are so compelling we become indispensable? And how do we show that and build the relationship?
3: Anything that keeps you up at night about the pandemic or now the endemic, we should probably call it moving forward.
0: We have been busier than we have ever been before. Our clients are doing so many more transactions that we had prior to the pandemic. Financing, strategic partnerships, acquisitions. My colleagues have been so busy and so focused on client activity. The one thing that keeps me up at night is how long can they do this at the speed at which they have been going for the past 18 months? There have been almost no vacations. People are working through the weeks and into the weekends. At some point, everyone needs to take a little time off.
3: As a professional services firm, have you been hit by staffing challenges? like so many other organizations across the country.
0: We always look for great quality people. I would not suggest that the pandemic has made that any worse for us. When it comes to clients though, I will say that we're the last 10 entrepreneurs with whom I have spoken. The number one challenge is the ability to hire great people. There is a shortage. Sure. Steve, thank you very much. It's a treat. Greg, thank you very much for having me. Steve Schneider, the head of business development
3: at Gesmer. Don, back to you.
2: Thanks, Greg. Next up, we'll hear from the President and CEO of Emerson Hospital on the difficulty of retaining healthcare workers, but she does have a plan when the language of business continues.
1: I didn't even realize what it meant to be in a top tier business school until my first day. and I just really for the first time felt like I was in a place where everybody knew what was going on and everyone was incredibly driven to study this and perfect this field and so I think being in a top business school really means that you are finding the barriers and the edges of the field and pushing them a little farther and that's what Questrom has taught me over the past four years. Questrom's really helpful because you get to not only study the basics of business such as accounting or marketing but you really get to dive further in and to see applications of the health sector and how business applies to sustainability efforts around the world.
3: They really want us to kind of focus it on four emerging areas, and those areas were healthcare, security, sustainability, and technology. Those are really where the jobs are going to be. They really want us to come out from the Questrom School of Business and be able to work in
2: any area of the industry. Interested? Go to slash Questrom. You're listening to the language of business. We heard about the entrepreneur and residents having a hard time finding employees. Now we'll hear from the president and CEO of Emerson Hospital on the difficulty of retaining healthcare workers, but she does have a plan. Back to Greg Stoller for the story.
3: Thank you, Don. Hospitals have a lot of revolving doors, but you don't expect that the staff is going to be coming in and going out of them we're on location virtually with christine schuster who is the president and ceo of emerson health systems and welcome to language of business
1: thank you greg i'm so excited to be here as you know my alma mater is boston university so i can't think of a better way to spend my afternoon than chatting with you about labor shortages in healthcare.
3: thank you we're thrilled to have you here and go terriers a lot of the media have been focusing on staffing shortages Are they equally distributed amongst physicians, nurses, and staff?
1: I was interviewing in my leadership huddles this week, my senior management team, and the single biggest concern that each of them had was the labor shortages. And so let's take a step back and look at the last 18 to 22 months. When COVID hit, we already had a little bit of a problem around labor, especially within the nursing area. And as COVID hit, it further exacerbated shortages in that particular area and a lot more. Because what did we experience? Because of the unknown nature of the pandemic and its impact on people's health, many nurses who were in their 60s and other employees as well took early retirement. And so that depleted our ranks just a little bit. And then something that people don't really think about is child care and elder care. So as those organizations shut down, women who were in the workforce primarily had to leave the workforce to provide care for their parents, their aging parents, as well as their own children. And when schools went virtual, especially for childcare, you often had families of four plus in the same house with mom and dad working or not working and children virtually attending school. Some of the other issues are if you can work, but you have a loved one who's immunocompromised, you're a little bit nervous about maybe going into the workforce. And so we lost a lot of people that way. So there's a number of issues that have impacted not just nursing, but other people who work throughout the hospital. In particular, I see a lot of frontline people in housekeeping and nutrition services, our receptionists, where we usually have about at Emerson at any given time, I'd say about 25 positions vacant. Today, when I checked, we have 122 positions vacant. We have a very low turnover rate compared to the industry average.
3: Christine, how do you stop the proverbial bleed when more and more people leave and the people who are left are starting to feel overwhelmed since the work still has to be done.
1: So the first thing you do is you let the people who are there, who are carrying their burden and the extra burden of the person who should be beside them, but they're filling in for themselves and the vacant position by appreciating them. One of the things we did this year was we announced an appreciation bonus for all of our staff to let them know that we know that you're working a little bit extra harder and he has a little bit extra money in your pocket to make up for that. In addition, we've put programs in place where Referral bonuses for bringing in others who would actually work beside them. Referral bonuses are really big right now and important and also stay bonuses. So if you bring someone in, we'll give you a bonus when they come in. And then a year later, if they're still here, we'll give you another cash bonus as well.
3: That's great. That's really nice to hear.
1: I think lots of times organizations put the focus on bringing new people in and forgetting about the staff that you have that are loyal, that have stayed with you, and that are working really, really hard during this period.
3: So you mentioned that nursing shortages are some of the most acute shortages that you're experiencing. I know a lot of organizations have started using travelers, but they tend to be expensive. How do you compensate for the increased cost?
1: The Travelers is a particularly disturbing situation for all of us because one day you're working and beside you for, say, $35 an hour, and then your colleague gives her resignation, goes down the street, joins a travel agency, comes back into the same organization making $75 or $105 an hour. That's very distressing. So the Massachusetts Health and Hospital Association has come together, as well as nationally, the American Hospital Association. To try to work with attorney generals in each state so that we can not have price gouging. So, this is something that happened nationally that the attorney general said, you can't increase your prices for masks and other COVID related things during the pandemic. We need to have the same sort of measures in place for travelers because travelers come in and they're great to fill holes, but they're not necessarily invested in the organization and the team as someone who's a permanent employee. And also, It does create a lot of dissension and not great feelings amongst the staff to know I'm doing the same job, but you're making two to three times more for that job.
3: So we've covered staff such as housekeeping and food service and nurses. What's happening on the physician side?
1: So the physician side is very similar in the sense that we've seen a lot of early retirements. I was calling around today in preparation for this call and to get into a primary care physician and five hospitals that I called five to six month wait for an appointment. What we're seeing is appointments are being pushed out much further than they normally would be. I actually called an urgent care center this morning. They were already booked by 10 a.m. And they said, well, you can try to come in as a walk-in. It's just going to depend on how long the folks who have already registered. So it's a lot harder to get an appointment. And I don't know if you've heard about emergency departments, but we have patients who we can't find mental health placements for, who are in our emergency department for days and days and days. In addition, we have some days where we have to go to a code yellow status because we have so many people in the emergency department.
3: And is that because you don't have enough physicians or people are overwhelmed because they're sick and they have no place else to go?
1: It's a combination of the two. I do think that care was deferred during COVID. People are now either a little sicker than they would have been if they came out during COVID, or they feel more comfortable coming out because more people are vaccinated and they're actually seeking care when they can. And also, We have ED as another emergency department, another area where there's a shortage of providers. So we tend to try to use physician's assistants and nurse practitioners to help us balance the workload in that area.
3: Emerson Health is affiliated with MGB, Mass General Brigham. Given that Emerson is on Route 2, how's the rest of the system doing? Are those areas experiencing similar problems as you folks are?
1: So we're clinically affiliated with Mass General Brigham, and we work very closely with them. Of late, a couple of the hospitals like Newton-Wellesley and North Shore Medical have been overloaded with patients. And so we've worked with them so that they could divert some of their patients to Emerson to help with their workload. Mass General and the Brigham, their emergency departments are full. In fact, they've issued many emails to patients in the system saying, this is what you come to the hospital for, and this is what you would go to urgent care or your primary physician for. So really trying to educate people so that people get the right care at the right place, which is very, very important. If you have a runny nose or an earache, you don't really need to go to the emergency room. You can go to an urgent care or your primary care doctor, but If you're in a car accident, you have chest pain. Those are things that migraine, you really want to go to your emergency department for to get the right level of care.
3: Things are improving, albeit in baby steps with the pandemic or endemic, whatever you like to call it. Looking forward to the next three to six months, what keeps you up at night the most? being CEO of Emerson?
1: Well, first I'll say we are doing much better and that's in great part to Secretary of Health and Human Services, Mary Lou Sutter's, who I believe has just done an amazing job working closely with the hospitals and all healthcare providers I was born in Massachusetts, I've been raised here except when I was in graduate school in Chicago, but I have to say there's no better place where we all come together and work as a team than we did during the pandemic and that's just what I love about Massachusetts healthcare. So there's a few things that keep me up at night, I worry that if we don't solve the staffing crisis that more and more people will not be able to access care quick enough and their conditions could worsen. I worry in some hospitals about interoperability of hospital systems to be able to talk to each other so that we can transfer patients readily and easily. I worry about increasing costs. As you can imagine, labor for most hospitals is 60 to 65% of their total expenses. If we're paying travelers exorbitant fees and we're offering all kinds of referral and bonus programs, what does that do to our total medical expense? It's going to drive it up at a time when we're all working really hard to deliver care in the least expensive setting that will offer quality outcomes.
3: Are any of the changes that you've made during the pandemic, do you foresee them becoming permanent even hopefully well after this entire nightmare ends?
1: One of the things that we did during that was communication. So while we always had a website, now our website has become a go-to place in the community for information, ensuring that people in our community don't have to drive out of the community for a COVID test. So we set up a COVID drive-through center. Many of the things that make it more convenient for people to get care in the community, we implemented and will keep in place because we realized how important that was for folks who didn't really want to drive downtown when they can really get things in their own backyard and be happy about that. We also have expanded our primary care because that was another thing we learned was people, when given a choice, they really would like to stay in Concord, but have the ability to go to Mass General or the Brigham, we've been able to really implement some of those things.
3: And finally, how are you dealing with members of your community, either patients or physicians or nurses or staff who are choosing not to get vaccinated?
1: We're part of the Mass Hospital Association, and we all signed a pact that we would have mandated vaccines for employment of our health system staff. We've accepted medical and religious exemptions, and those are reviewed, and some were accepted and some weren't. And so, as a condition of employment, you have to be vaccinated. And I really believe that's the right thing. When people come to the hospital, they need to know that it's a safe place to be. They need to know that their care providers are vaccinated and will keep them safe. And interestingly, Greg, we had before the mandate went into place a number of people call, and I had letters written to me and a couple of emails on our website through the Contact Us function, where they said, I love Emerson, but I haven't heard you declare that you're implementing the vaccine mandate and I'm not comfortable there, so I'm canceling my upcoming MRI. And so that was also a signal to us, this is what our community wants, and after all, our job is to be there to support the community and for them to feel safe when they walk through our doors.
3: Christine, thank you very much.
1: Thank you so much, Greg, and reach out anytime. Go Terriers.
3: Thank you. Christine Schuster, President and CEO of Emerson Health Systems.
2: Don, back to you. Thanks, Greg. Support for The Language of Business is from Boston University Questrom School of Business. We now have downloads in 40 states plus D.C. And international downloads are now up to 77, plus several more marked as unknown countries. We appreciate the support. If you enjoy The Language of Business, please subscribe and tell a friend. The Language of Business is available wherever you get podcasts. Or just ask Alexa. Our social media is by Jennifer Powell of the Excellent Writers Group. Music by Randy Barth of Oswee Media Group. Consulting producer, Helen Tierney of Happy Accident Productions. Direction audio editing and voiceover by yours truly. Special thanks to Mike Carruthers of somethingyoushouldknow.net. I'm executive producer, Don Kelly. For Greg Stoller and the entire team, thanks for listening to The Language of Business.